Okay, let's pray. Father, just thank you for the beautiful day that we can gather together in your house. Father, we do pray for Helena's family. Uh, we pray for the Amundsen family. We pray for the Kisner family. Father, it's a difficult time of the year for a lot of people. And Father, we just know that you are the God who's in control and that none of this surprises you. And that, Father, you just um, continue to strengthen, encourage, and let those that are hurting know that you are there. Wrap your loving arms around them. To just in, be an encouragement. And, Father, now as we open your word, I pray you'll guide us and direct us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. How many of you, when you, when you got saved or somewhere along the way in your life as a Christian, somebody came up and handed you a book that looked like this. Probably not a military one, but anybody recognize what this is? It's the New Testament. Gideon's passed these out. This is the military version. And people will give it to a new believer. You get Mark got saved and somebody says, here, you need to read this. But what kind of, what kind of instruction do we give to a new believer no, you can hang on to that. You can hang on to that. You know, you need to read that. <laughs> but how many of us ever give instructions on where to go to? Have you ever thought about that when, you, when you, you talk to somebody about needing to read God's Word? Where do you start? Most of the time we start in the beginning, right? How many of you love the beginning of the New Testament? Be honest. You, you just love that first section of verses. Now, if you're honest, how many of you, when you get to Matthew chapter 1, is where we're going to be going, Matthew chapter 1, you just skip right over it. You read, you read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and away you go, and you drop down to all well, 17 or 18. How many of you do that? Thank you, Pat, for being honest, some of you. Most of us do that. You know, it would have been a whole lot easier if it would have been George and Sam and Harry and stuff like that, but we can't even pronounce most of these names. And the other thing, you realize this book is not written for most of us. It is. It is written to us. But who wrote it? Who wrote the book? A tax collector. A guy from the IRS wrote the book. <laughs> it is. Matthew was a tax collector. So if you want to put it in modern day terms, this book was written by a tax collector. And I have two Bibles up here this morning. Some of you are wondering why you have two, but this one actually has an introduction that says, Matthew, who was surnamed Levi, was a Jewish tax collector for the Roman government because he collaborated with the Romans who were hated by the Jews as overlords of their country. Matthew was despised by fellow Jews. Nevertheless, Matthew responded to Christ's simple call to follow him. And after the account of the banquet he gave for his colleagues so they could meet Jesus, he is not mentioned again except in the list of the 12 in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. Um, Matthew was written to the Jews. But can we take encouragement from it? 
And why was it important to the Jews? The first 17 verses, most of us don't even look at them. These are important verses. Have you looked at it really closely, though? If you're studying your family tree, how do you trace your family tree back, most of us? Where would you start, Jim? Parents? It's easy to trace, most of us, it's easier to trace back. Now, I don't know how the Kisners do it, because there's way too many marks. But Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark, is that how y'all figure that one out? My family, if you go to a family reunion and you call out Alan or Curtis, half or two-thirds of the group's going to turn around, because most of us got a family name somewhere along the way. My grandfather, my, myself and my son, we all have a name in common, because that's how we did it. Do you realize in the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, there are four women mentioned? And if you look at them in the Old Testament, they were not what you would consider to be really prominent women who were followers of the law. But they're mentioned because they're very important. And we should not, when you do your readings, don't skip over this. Uh, but then we come to verse 17, and it says, So all the genealogies from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Hmm. Must be some significance there. Something. Oh, goodness. I had a guy that used to sleep in my last church, and he sat right about where Stephanie's coat is. And one Sunday morning, one of the kids in children's church found the Sunday school bell and pushed it a couple times, and he jumped up, and he's heading for the door. And he goes, I'll get, I'll, I'll get the door. And he's almost to the doors. And I said, Jim, it's not the doorbell. It was the Sunday school bell. You go back to sleep. He turned around, came back, and sat down. So I'm used to bells going off. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This is Matthew's way of saying, this is the way it is. I'm going to tell you this is what happened. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. You've got to take, take on the, the, the view of Joseph today. We're going to look at Joseph today and a little bit of Mary next week. And then the week after, we're going to go to another part. But Mary was betrothed. And that's more than just being engaged. A lot of people say, well, it's just like being engaged today. But it's not. It was way more serious than engagement. They were technically married, they just had not come together yet. You know, there's, there's, as I was studying this, and I like to look at different translations, there's actually a translation that was done in 1949 where they changed the word here 
they don't call Mary a virgin. They call her a young woman because they're denying the virgin birth, and that's why they use that word in there, is to get away from the virgin birth. But Joseph... found out that Mary was pregnant. Now, he had the most gorgeous woman in the world. Did you know that? Mary's giving me this look. Pat, when you and Mary got married, you married the most beautiful woman in the world, didn't you? Richard, when you and Carol got married, you married the most beautiful woman in the world, didn't you? Why do we marry our wives? Jim, you married the most beautiful woman in the world, didn't you? See, I can embarrass y'all. Sharon, where did she go? Oh. I married the most beautiful woman in the world. Each one of us picked our wives, or God picked them for us, because they're the ones meant for us. Now, Joseph, if you understand the law, when he found out she was pregnant, could have taken her outside and stoned her on the spot. Because she had broken, or the world would have thought that she broke the law. And the law says that she would forfeit her life for becoming pregnant before they had come together. But then in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, doesn't say that he's perfect. But a just man can also be translated as upright. And not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. Been a lot of talk about what that means. But some people thought, well, maybe we'll just send her away to stay with some relatives outside of town till after the baby comes. So he had already decided not to kill her. But while he thought, so he's thinking about this. Because imagine... Family's all over the place. And all of a sudden, your future wife announces she's pregnant. What's the family going to say? What's the family going to do? Oh, no. But Joseph thought. See, it's a good thing to think before we react. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph's thinking. And he must, obviously, he's, he's probably in bed thinking. You ever laid in bed at night just thinking and your mind's just moving 190 miles an hour trying to figure out what's next. Imagine, you've planned your wedding. You're marrying the most beautiful girl in the world. And she tells you, I'm pregnant. What are you going to do? He's thinking. He's laying there thinking about what to do. And an angel appears to him. Now, I'm wondering what Pat would do. He's laying in bed thinking some night, and an angel appears to him. Mm-hmm. Probably the same thing I'd do. But the angel tells him, 
And what does he say? He doesn't just say Joseph, but he says Joseph, son of David. So he's pointing out that David's line, David's line is a, is a kingly line. He goes all the way back to David. He calls him son of, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And the word Jesus literally is translated to Savior. He came here to save us, to be our Savior. Next week we're going to look at Luke, but I'm going to go there for just a minute this morning. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And then in verse 35, it said, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Wow. Can it happen? Did it happen? Absolutely. Any pastor that denies the virgin birth should not be a pastor should be selling cars or insurance or something, but should not be behind the pulpit. Because if you believe God's word is true cover to cover, what's verse 37 say of that same chapter? For with God, nothing will be impossible. God can do whatever he wants to do. Think about the magnificence of the universe. God holds it all together. What would make anybody think that virgin birth would be so impossible for a God that can hold this planet together? the world together. I mean, come on. That would be simple for God. Go to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign... Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us is what Emmanuel means. God is with us, or God with us. When was God with us? When he was born in that manger. God was with us. He's with us right now. But in flesh, he was born in that manger. And one of, those, one of the songs that we did, I was listening instead of singing this morning, struck me about how it was one of the verses. I wish I could remember the song. Um, I think it was uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Let's see. Oh, verse 3, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. You realize the birth of our Savior was anything but quiet? 
from the angel talking to Mary, the angel talking to Joseph, the angel talking to the little shepherd boys out in the field, you think they caused a little stir when they came into town? Where was Christ laid? He was in a manger. And, oh, uh, way in a manger. Those cattle weren't sleeping. It was not real quiet. How many of you, the guys, how many of you were there when your children were born in the, in, in the hospital? Was it quiet? <laughs> Anything but quiet. So how do we get how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given? The Sunday after Christmas, I think it's the 28th, we're going to look at the wise guys that showed up a couple years later and the stir that they made. Yeah, I said wise guys. I was one of those... There's a children's Christmas program, Wise Guys and Starry Skies, and they asked me to be one of the wise guys one year when our church did it in Arizona. And, uh, they created a stir. And there weren't three. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ entered in. We celebrate Christmas because it's the birth of our Savior. But when we look back at Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you realize the context at this verse, and most of the time we just pull that verse out, but back in verse 1, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of uh, Jotham. And Ahaz was not a good king. He was a, one of the bad kings. Um, in verse 2, it says, And it was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim, so his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shera Jasup, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands from the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in the wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God. It shall not stand, nor shall it go to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remelin's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God, ask it either in the depths or in the heights above. 
So God's telling this evil ruler, ask me for a sign. And what's his response? But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. So even an, an evil king has some reverence for God. And then he said, hear me, hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also. And this is where the promise of the Messiah comes in. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah is telling a king, the Lord's going to give you a sign, and behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's why we celebrate this season. It's a promise made many, many years before the New Testament was written. Then go over to Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You ever thought about those names? The wonderful God that we have? Counselor, where do we go in times of trouble? We can go to Him. Mighty God. We talked about how He holds it all together. Scientists have figured if we just move a little bit closer to the sun, we'll burn up. If we move just a little bit farther away, we'll freeze to death. Who's holding it all together? God. The mighty God. Everlasting Father. He's always going to be there. And Prince of Peace. Where are we going to get peace? From Him. I know I ask you all, uh, to fill out some prayer request things that I could pray for you about. And one of Helena's requests was peace on earth. Now you think about it, where's that peace coming from? It's got to come from God. But Joseph, I'm glad he thought a little bit before he acted. He thought about these things back in Matthew chapter 1. In verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1, So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that happened that day many, many years ago. And verse 23 is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was the prophecy we read in Isaiah. It's a direct quote that, that vir the virgin will, will give us a child. God with us, 
God sent his son over 2,000 years ago, left his throne in heaven to come down and be born in a stable. Some of you have farm animals or been around. We were talking last night. Jake used to take care of animals. Can you imagine what it was like for the king to be born in a manger? He could have been born in a palace. But how many people would have believed? A lot of people don't believe today. A lot of people don't believe that he actually came. The Jews are still waiting. But I believe that my Savior was born 2,000 years ago. Came here knowing that he was going to go to the cross for you and for me. What a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, this is the time of the year that people are more open. Um, I don't know if you, I don't like to shop. Well, I have one store I like to shop in, but I, I don't typically go shopping. But they're not wishing us Merry Christmas anymore. Happy holidays. No, it's Merry Christmas. And I think it stuns them if we go back with Merry Christmas. But what should we do as believers? We should be celebrating the birth of our Savior. The unsaved world can't understand it. Just like back in Isaiah, Ahaz didn't understand what Isaiah was telling him. But we can understand it because we have God's complete word. Through faith, we believe that Christ... I wasn't there. But we have eyewitness accounts of what happened. Wonderful time. Next week, we'll look at Mary, which is another really interesting... I wish I'd have been here all... Maybe we'll just keep Christmas going after the first of the year. Or do Christmas again during the summer, and then I can actually enjoy a whole month of Christmas. Or two. Or three. I could preach on Christmas all year long. Because there's so much to it. It's all the things that had to happen, all the things that had to take place, so that we could understand what happened when our Savior came came down here knowing he was going to the cross. Going to have to die for you and for me. I ask you if you skip through the genealogies. The only other place that we have a record of all the genealogies is in Genesis. And most of the time when we get there, we just skip over that too. But it's really important that we, we do look at that and just be able to see The, the royal line that Christ came from, both Joseph and Mary came from that royal line. I'm looking forward to the day the Lord comes back. We know he's coming back. We can see, uh, I opened a box this morning, I thought it was the VA sending me some more medication, but it was four books that a friend of ours has written on prophecy. And uh, 
the fulfillment of all the prophecies that have happened. And, you know, if, when you look at it and you study that, and you see that it's not long uh, before the Lord returns. And we should be ready. Because we never know for sure when our time will be up. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day that we can come together and look at your word. Father, we thank you for the writing of Matthew and the account that he gives of the birth of our Savior. And Father, just to know that this is how you wanted us to understand it and that Joseph was a, an upright man. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't needing to be elevated up, but he was, he was an upright or a just man. And he thought before he acted, and Father, that uh, you sent that angel to talk to him, and that he understood and believed that Mary would have a child that would be our Savior. And Father, we just thank you for that gift that you gave us so many years ago. And Father, I do pray today that if there's someone in this room that is not sure where they would spend eternity, I ask that you would just uh, cause them to uh, follow you, Father, to accept you, accept that free gift. And Father, that as we go out uh, to our jobs and to do shopping and wherever we go, that we might be a light to the darkness around us that people might see you shining through us. And we just pray this in your most precious name.